Good morning, Mr. Cass. Good morning, Mr. Taylor. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to be enjoying life at the start of the winter with some sun and some long daylight hours now that start in the morning. Yes, it is nice, isn't it? I don't know. I, I enjoy the uh, winter months as well. I mean, you can't be Canadian and not enjoy the weather, but um, good. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. And uh, today's discussion, we're going to quickly talk about property management, um, the importance of having good management and or perhaps learning how to manage uh, yourself. So, I mean, through your entire career that uh, you've been in the business and you do so much of your business is involved with uh, uh, investment properties and uh, properties that related that require management. What's been your experience or what are some of the critical points you'd like to point out with regards to um, having good management in place? Well, it, it relates mostly to the kind of property you've got. A property with 125 apartments in it is a very different kettle of fish from a two-family dwelling or something like that, even a single-family dwelling. Most people um, don't have the justification to hire a manager if they own one or two units. In fact, one of my clients who's now in his 80s has over 100 houses, and he always said, I'd never buy anything which I couldn't afford a manager for because it's an aggravation. Plumbing issues, electrical issues, roofing issues, uh, squirrels in the attic. Um, these are things that are a nuisance, but I still think that everyone should learn how to manage a property. Then once they've done that, whatever they learn about managing a duplex or a fourplex, well, once they get that worked out, then they can evaluate a manager, decide whether they really want to go uh, into more units so that they can afford a manager, uh, that kind of thing. You and I just worked on uh, a long contract with a, a, a big time manager for a big building. And you and I saw how much the contract was skewed in favor of the manager. Right. They, they don't want liability. They don't want exposure. However, where uh, you and I agreed, um, we got the notice period down to 60 days. So if we're not happy with the manager, well, out we go. And so I think that's the ultimate uh, release. It's like in a marriage, like if it doesn't work, you get a divorce. Um, and with your manager, you're married to that manager in many ways. And you depend on the manager for all kinds of procedures. For example, um, I have a manager that I deal with on one of our things, but that manager is not technically oriented. So we have a maintenance guy who walks on the roofs every fall to look for problems. Uh, you have to have systems in place. You must always, as a property owner, control and know. And if you just leave things to people to do what they want, I don't care how good your manager is, their priorities will not be the same as yours. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I always, my, I advocate that when someone's just getting into the business that they really uh, try and manage, usually they're always in a smaller asset class, try and manage it themselves. Uh, I'm able to provide uh, clients with kind of a foundation on how to go about doing that. But the only way that you can really appreciate what's involved in property management is by really learning um, all that there is and learning how to vet your tenants and so on and so forth. And then as your asset, uh, assets begin to grow, then uh, hiring a professional uh, management firm is key, but also making sure that you vet the contract uh, that's presented before you because there might be some things that are worded 
Uh, and in the case that you're referring to, we had a client uh, that uh, was looking has very very large uh, assets, and uh, they were about to go into negotiations. And uh, there were quite a few things in the contract and uh, recommendations I made uh, that were for you and for their insurance company to review before they uh, signed it on the dotted line. So um, I think that uh, always having a team to work with uh, is absolutely critical to anyone's success. You're right. And I, I, I must say, Frank, I was very impressed with your analysis of that agreement. Uh, the interesting part is um, that you and I found lots of things to change, but the client had left it so long <laughs> that the manager wouldn't change very much. <laughs> the big thing we got was the 60-day termination clause okay. uh, so that it could work. Um, but as, as you're saying, buildings have tenant relations, physical conditions, and money management, and they're all different issues. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you very much, sir. Always appreciate your insights. Well, Frank, it is my pleasure to help get this thing going. It, it, it's kind of my first uh, venture into the, uh, the radio arena. Well, you're doing an excellent job. You're a natural, as they say. Well, I think that's a polite way of calling me a ham. Right. <laughs> no, you actually, you are, you're a natural. Anyway, listen, you have a wonderful day. Yes, you too. And may uh, your business continue to prosper. I know your consulting services are valuable. Um, I can see it in everything that you touch. Thank you, my friend. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye, Frank. Bye. Welcome, everybody. Roll up your sleeves, grab your pens and papers, and get ready to take notes. My name is Frank Taylor, and this is Let's Be Frank. Well, uh, welcome everybody, and uh, I am uh, thrilled uh, to be able to present an opportunity for all of you to get to meet uh, someone that I admire and, uh, and is a mentor to me uh, in just uh, all things that he has done uh, in the past and uh, presently. And I've had a great opportunity uh, to get to know uh, Justin Taylor. Uh, Justin Taylor is the COO of uh, Green Rock Property Management and of Green Rock Property Advisors, who in 2021 uh, were elected by uh, their peers through the Canadian uh, Apartment Association as the number one property management company in Canada. His background is Justin went to university for his uh, economics uh, degree in the United States, then went on to a position with uh, Brahma Lee, which was a major uh, developer uh, in Canada, Canadian-owned, but uh, had assets across the United States and the UK. After finishing with that, uh, Justin went on to become a operations and property manager uh, with ResReit, which oversaw 12,000 residential uh, Canadian uh, assets throughout the country, coast to coast. And then from there, he then went on. Uh, this is just an incredible, it's hard to believe that some people do this in a lifetime. 
He then went on to become the general manager of Scotia Plaza, which is a 2 million square foot trophy tower, super tower, uh, in downtown Toronto, and uh, then uh, became a director of real estate for Scotiabank uh, through North America and South America, overseeing 6 million square feet of assets. And then he brought uh, 25 years of senior management experience in construction project management and property management uh, from the UK, the United States, and uh, from Canada to Green Rock. And I got to tell you, um, I you know I got to know Justin um, personally. Uh, he's just a remarkable uh, person. Uh, but I uh, reached out to him because I was so impressed with one of the uh, facilities that they owned. It was a 1963 era um, development of, I'm going to say this complex had over 350 units, I think, two acres of land in the heart of downtown Toronto. But I'd never seen a complex so well managed and so well maintained. And um, I actually reached out to him to just let him know uh, that I um, I was very impressed and uh, he got back to me right away, and and over the time uh, we have developed a, a friendship and an admiration for each other, and uh, I'm just thrilled to have had the opportunity to uh, interview him and get to know him even that much better. Jared, um, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, what did you think of the interview? I think um, I think this is pretty much as close as we're going to get to interviewing James Bond without interviewing James Bond. Right. This guy's a monster. <laughs> this guy's right? an absolute monster. He's a, he, I mean, I, I love this. He was an econ major, but he went from econ major to a restaurateur to hotel hotelier and has Castle. just incredibly, yeah, I mean, castle. He, he exactly, yeah, he brought his family up in a castle in Thornbury, Thornbury Castle in Bristol, UK. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know how many people in the world can say that, that they've done that, but he's, this guy is an incredibly smart guy and he's got an incredibly varied history that has really led him to such an incredible success. I mean, with him running one of the, uh, running the operations of one of a handful of what global superstructures in Scotia tower, it's gotta be what 50 of them in the world. Yeah. Just, just a really incredible guy, COO of green rock property management. There's really no one of higher caliber than Justin Taylor. And I think we're incredibly lucky to have, uh, to have interviewed him. I, uh, I'm thrilled and, uh, it's a great opportunity. So, uh, again, roll up your sleeves, take a pen and paper, write down some of the names and, uh, of the people that he mentions during the podcast, because they are, uh, leaders, uh, within the industry. But I think what's important and I really try to extol is that, um, you know, you can be anybody anywhere at any time. And if you have the guts to reach out and, uh, have a big dream, and uh, pursue uh, anything that you think that you're capable of. Anything is possible. And, uh, and so this is a story of a man who uh, made, uh, you know, obviously had a background in real estate with regards to his family, as you're going to see. Uh, it's fascinating. And I hope that you thoroughly enjoy uh, this program. Talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, this is... Justin Taylor. Well, thank you for, you know, uh, doing this for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
because I think that uh, you are absolutely one of the uh, individuals that most people really should, you know, hear from uh, out there. Well, I'm not certain about that, but it's very kind. Yeah. No, I, I mean that uh, sincerely. And um, first of all, thank you for uh, joining me on Let's Be Frank about real estate investing. <laughs> 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 Great. Um, so, um, uh, as uh, you may know, uh, the background of the show and um, really the reason that it's inspired me is to try and give a more of a realistic um, perspective on uh, real estate investing and ownership mm-hmm. and management. Um, you know, many of the podcasts or productions that are out there, um, you know, talk about uh, let's just say sometimes it's a little more fluff than the reality. And I'm not here to try and be a bummer about it, but I believe that, you know, uh, integrity is everything and you want to make sure that people know exactly what they're getting into and that it's not going to be an easy, you know, you got to work for it, right? If you're going to have uh, investors or uh, you're going to have um, uh, tenants pay for your mortgage, then uh, you have to develop a business model that's going to succeed. And Green Rock uh, property management has probably developed one of the best business models that I have ever seen. And I mean that sincerely. Well, that's kind of you. I'm not certain that our business model um, outshines a lot of the big public companies because we spend more money on our buildings uh, than they reportedly do. So, uh, so as an investor, it's one thing. As a private company, it's a, it's a very different choice. Yeah. Uh, so uh, public companies, I think we have a lot more ability to make decisions based on what we think our brand is and what we think our residents would like or our commercial tenants, as opposed to what they're going to get because we have a we have a distributable income we have to make. We have a an IRR we have to show up, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Let's. I want to backtrack because I want uh, people to kind of get to know who Justin Taylor is. Great name, by the way. <laughs> we're not related. No. <laughs> uh, we're not related in any way. Uh, and um, just want to. I, I, part of the show is going to be talking about who. Let's just talk about who you were when you were younger, and maybe your education. And and I know you you went to England and found yourself out that way, but. Um, the idea of the show is sometimes we're going to have uh, listeners, many, that are just starting and maybe aspire to one day uh, run a company like uh, Green Rock and the Green Family. That is, This is a, a family-owned business mm-hmm. that, that started really from the ground up. So, um, you know, where you'd like to begin, I know that um, I'd love to talk about you and how you kind of got into the business and how it kind of morphed and, and how that worked because you've been in with Scotiabank and... You were in hotel and restaurant management, yeah. and uh, and then maybe we could talk, uh, you know, uh, with whatever you're comfortable with, with regards to the Green family, because they've done a lot for the community, and uh, they're a wonderful family. They are. They are a wonderful family, and never got a chance to meet them, but I just get to see what they've done uh, for the community at large, and just even having visited your offices, the amount of times that I have, and getting to meet and know you mm-hmm. uh, uh, and just seeing who the person is that represents them as a family and the team, uh, all the people that are involved. I think it says everything about them. But let's talk about going back to who you were when you were younger and kind of how you got here. Well, um, I would recommend that you don't try and create people a path into property management. Um, most people fall into it. 
one way or another. Yeah. Uh, uh, you can't go to Harvard and study property management. Um, however, uh, you know, I went to University of the States, studied economics, um, and um, then I started working for a, a Canadian company, interestingly enough, in, in Newport Beach called Bramley, um, which the name yeah. Bramley is all built after. Yeah. Bramley Homes, we were building a lot of new homes, and that was sort of my first uh, position out of university. And uh, on the ground floor, like in the building section? No, no, I was I was I was uh, assistant director of marketing and sales. Okay. And um, and we were building a lot of master plan communities in Southern California, and uh, and it was a really interesting. It was you know it was a good time. Um, to be in that business and, and real estate is a lot is very Dickensian in the sense that it's the best of times and the worst of times right. depending on what the climate is. Yeah, and uh, I think so. This was the eighties. This was the eighties. This was the eighties. Two years before I started, I think they were doing campaigns where buy this house and you'll get the Porsche in the garage. I think I remember that. Yeah, and so you know, all kinds of people are just trying to move, just trying to move what they bought. Uh, what Bramley did, which was really smart, was they bought huge tracts of land, they put them down to be, they didn't develop on them, but they had them graded, they put in the services, they had the infrastructure. And when the market changed, they were very quick to be able to get, you know, sticks up and pads laid and and, and then the homes were there and the, and the market was huge. And the market in America is uh, easier one to manage from a new home builder because you can write off the interest on your mortgage against your income. So we don't get to do here. So correct me if I'm wrong. I remember Bramley uh, as a builder and developer here in Ontario. Were oh, they not sure. here in Ontario? So I, I, as a younger guy, remember them being one of the big subdivision uh, developers out in the Mississauga area. They were. Actually. They built subdivisions. They built the Interstate Building in Dallas. Um, they were. They were a big, a big U.S. and Canadian company, and in England. Um, wow. they, they were involved in the uh, Canary Wharf thing, I think. Um, and it's funny because when I, when I was applying, I didn't want to go into new homes. I wanted to be in real estate, high rise, real, high rise, real estate, commercial real estate. You knew that right from school. That's what intrigued me. Yes. Okay. And through your degree, was it through some of the course in uh, urban development or some of the courses you were taking? No, it was mostly just economics. It was just something that I thought I I, I liked, and I'm not certain why, but I oh, did. Okay. And I remember uh, interviewing with a man named Glenn Isaacson, who was head, I, I'm sure I've got the name right, uh, in Oakland uh, for Bramley. And at the end of the interview, he said, you know, you're a smart guy, but you're not a high-rise guy. So I'm going to send you to Newport Beach. You go talk to this guy, and I'll set up a meeting for you. Maybe, maybe they have something for you. And I, I remember thinking, ah. and then, you know, if you flash forward to 2006, I'm now the, you know, director of real estate at Scotiabank, and I'm sitting on the 34th floor in my office because uh, I was also the general manager of Scotia Plaza. And I thought, I wish I had this guy's number. Right? It's taken so long, but um, it's probably been, I don't even want to think. 40 years. Did that light a fire? Did that inspire you in some way? Maybe because sometimes things are said when we're younger and it, it inspires to say, you know what? Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna, you know, not intentionally that person, but I'm totally what I think I am and inspires you in some way to go in that direction. I think so. But I also think that he was probably right uh, okay. at the time. Yeah. Called it, it as he saw it. I think thing. so. It was good. And yeah. it was very helpful to me. 
So, so, so Bramley is a British-based company? No, it's, Cana- it's a Canadian it's a Can- company. Canadian company. It's gone now. It, and it's gone. I think when I started at Bramley, shares were $32, $33 share. And two years after I left, it was $0.40. Cents. Wow. Wow. Family-owned company or it was a publicly traded? It was traded? a public traded okay. company. All right. Yeah. All right. I, I, I'm, I can't speak to as to what it got wrong. Yeah. But yeah, but well, um, they were everywhere. It, I, you know, it's easy, right? A yeah. lot of big companies, the next deal's worth, you know, as much as all the previous deals put together, kind of thing. Sometimes that yeah. happens. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know because I wasn't there uh, at the time that it started, um, you know, floundering. Well, I know that um, you know when I was younger and looking or even thinking about real estate, you know, Bramley was huge at the time. Mississauga Ship Building, Ship the Family, Ship mm-hmm. Family, Kenef. Uh, oh, yeah. We're the big players out there, but uh, Bramley was huge. Um, and then, so so once you, how long were you with Bramley then for? Oh, just a couple of years. Okay. And then where did you go That's when I moved there? to the UK. I went so to, what brought you there? Uh, my father. Uh, my father had a property um, in England and he was... It was, a, it, was a, it was a castle that was built in 1511. Um, and... He was trying, it was being run as a hotel. He just purchased it. And he was trying to build a wing of rooms in the, uh, in the derelict, in a derelict portion of the building. Of the castle. Of the castle. Of the castle. And these walls have been open since like 1550 or something. And, um, and of course he was, he thought he knew what it was going to cost and it was more. And so he asked me if I would come over and help him uh, build that wing and uh, and what we did, which was really neat, instead of instead of just hiring all the trades, we built our own uh, our own wood shop and our own blacksmith shop and our own forge and our, wow. and um, and our own stonemason shop. So we built all of the things we needed, so we could hire the tradesmen and give them the places to work. Yeah, so saved us a ton of money. Sure, um, on doing it, it was still really expensive, but it was uh, it was great, and it was. A, I mean, that was probably such a, one of the great learning experiences of my life. They, they, uh, the man, the, the quality of tradesmanship. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. So that just opened up a door to kind of, uh, you know, uh, a revelation to me as, uh, as well. And that is your, so your family was involved in real estate uh, when you, your, your dad obviously didn't just. Did he, was he in the in the hotel industry, in the real estate industry? No, he was in real estate. Okay. So it's in your blood. So it was in your, it's in your family. It was in your yeah. blood. Okay. So I think that's important kind of uh, disclosure <laughs> because, you know, if it's in your blood, uh, you know, my, my, out of my three kids, my daughter is the one that tends to be really involved and interested in, in real estate redesign and that type of thing. But my oldest son and my youngest son, not so much. But so, so it was inspired, your da- you were inspired by your, da- your dad at, at some point. Yeah, but I would say that probably, ironically enough, that it was the, the hotel and restaurant side of things that was most in my blood. Wow. And I had spent uh, most of my high school career um, catering people's parties and, you know, working to serve and that sort of thing so that I could pay for equipment for our band because their band never made money. And, so you're uh, a musician as well. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that anybody that actually heard me 
might might have second thoughts about yeah. that. But yeah, no, we we uh, we, uh, we had a uh, you know pretty rock and roll new wave band. Cool. In, really new wave in the seventies cool. and and uh, in early eighties. Uh, but I think that I spent years um, doing that. I think there's an article my mother still has when I was 11 and we still lived in Toronto. Uh, I was written up in, I think, the Globe by the person who did the food restaurants because she'd been at my parents' house and I'd been, or somebody's house, and, oh, I'd been, cool. and I'd been doing the service and made the main course or something. But I've always loved that. But it was always sort of me. It was a means to an end. And, and um and I hope my mother doesn't listen to this because I always said she was my inspiration to cook, Aww. but not because she was good at it. <laughs> 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 so, um, anyway, that's, that's unfair to my So mother. were there hotels or restaurants here in Toronto that your family owned? Nope. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. This was just something I was interested in. Okay. But your dad, what was your dad involved in? What was the real estate investment? Well, commercial real estate. Oh, it was commercial yeah. real estate. Okay. So office? My, my father has a... Uh, has a very um, has an interesting background because he was a big band leader in the late '40s. He had a '54 piece recording orchestra in England, um, and he wrote a lot of letters. Then he worked for Boozy and Hawks, and then uh, and then he made television documentaries. Uh, he did the took the Blue Nose Two on its maiden voyage to go find treasure and. Cocos Island and wow. made a film on that. Actually, it's a good it's a good documentary. And another one about the Red Cross um, with uh, Princess Grace as the narrator. And uh, anyway, uh, so he he was kind of like uh, he did a lot of different things. So it's hard to say that that's there was one trajectory for my father. My yeah. father never had one trajectory. He had always had many. He was an adventurer. Sounds he, like he was. He was an adventurer. Yeah. Well, who buys a castle? Yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, <laughs> a castle but i mean oh my gosh i can you know when i talk about historical restorations i mean i'm dealing with buildings that are 100 years old 150 years old i can't imagine working on having the opportunity to work on a building that's a thousand years old 500 600 years old. years old yeah it was quite it was it was incredible it was really uh it was really fun that part of it was was great and the in the building um we sold it in 2001 and uh, along with some other properties, but we, uh, but now it's been purchased. I understand a year ago by um, somebody who's putting lots of money into it because I think it had been let kind of. We spent a lot of money on it. Yeah. We ran it well. Uh, in two thousand, we were the number two best hotel in Kind Nas Gold List. Um, What's the name of the hotel? Thornbury Castle. Thornberry Castle. Yes. Okay. Cool. And um, and uh, you know it was it was a great great part of life. I wouldn't I wouldn't you know if I could I wouldn't do the sliding doors and go back there. Right. Okay. Um, but at the time it was it was it was really fun. It was very enjoyable. It was nice to be in working in uh, kitchens and uh, and the hospitality business and. You know, I now go to the LCBO and wistfully look at some of the reserved bottles behind the glass. Uh, <laughs> that right. There was a day when I could have just pilled right. one out. <laughs> right. Isn't that something? How, how, so where was it located in England? Uh, in South Gloucestershire. Okay. And uh, so give me a demographic. Because I've been in uh, England, so I've been to the south of England, through London, uh, a little bit. Is it northern England? Or? No, we're in the West Country. And in the West, so, but, okay. Um, so South Gloucestershire, just north of Bristol. 
Okay. Um, and uh, very close to the Severn River, so you'd find wells on the other side of that. So, cool. How did you like living in England? I loved it. Did you? Okay. Uh, so my eldest son right now is going to Cambridge. Uh, and so um, in, in the town of Cambridge, uh, where Cambridge University is located, is beautiful. It's almost it like it's like out of a movie. It's really quite something. And so Cambridge University is either the oldest university in the world or one of the oldest universities in the world. But I know that his residence that he's staying in was built in the 14th, 14th century. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, but he is loving it there. Yeah, My grandmother used to live there. So I used to in Cambridge, her a lot. In, yeah, Cambridge. in Cambridge. Oh, isn't that cool? Yeah. He absolutely loves it. He's rowing. He's part of the rowing team and he's doing all kinds of stuff. So it's like crazy. I had a great friend who uh, went to Cambridge, got his law degree there. And one day I was asking him about that versus Oxford or whatever. And at the time, I think he said that a, that 10 out of the 11 ministers serving for the prime minister were from, were Oxford educated, which was exactly the reason why Cambridge is a better place to go. Oh, is that what he said? Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. So, uh, so England, and then, so how did you go from uh, living in England? So the hotel was sold and that was- We sold our business. I was, I was managing director of that company. Uh, we sold it uh, and- I moved for a brief time to Portugal. Um, Beautiful. Where I, well, it was, it was just before the Euro, and okay. it was a bit like the Wild West in the sense that I didn't have a whole lot of rules. Obviously, you really needed to make sure you understood the local people and what was happening. Um, you could buy offshore companies, and they could operate your home, and you could pay a dollar a year kind of thing. So there was a lot of... Uh, ability to move. And at the same time, everybody that has sitting on a bunch of cash was trying to figure out how to move it in oh. the market because they couldn't just walk in and turn it into euros. Okay. So uh, I, I just started buying property on the, on the coast that already had all the planning permissions necessary. Wow. Cause I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to get involved in it. And I didn't buy a lot because we, uh, because we moved back to Canada after that, but, uh, but they were, it was just, you could buy them for twice their value and sell them for twice that value in, you know, in a year, year and a half. Really? Well, there was a big motorway going in at the bottom. Portugal was being heavily subsidized by the EU. Okay. Uh, and uh, to bring it back. And, and when I first used to go there on holiday from England, you know, to, or to get from Lagos to, or sorry, from, yeah, from Lagos down to, down to uh, Faro, where the airport is. One part of it, you could have a cart and a, you know, and a donkey and just be sitting around for an hour and a half to try and get around or somewhere wow. else. So, and then by the, if you go there now, there's, I think there's four lanes each way that just run side to side. So, so this was early 2000s you were in, you were involved. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've now, you know, of all the countries I haven't been to, Portugal is uh, one of the ones that I haven't, but it's my daughter. Uh, it's her, it's her favorite country that she's been to, and I dated a girl that was Portuguese forever in a day. The food was is amazing. It is it's wonderful, um, but it looks absolutely beautiful. So then you, um, so then the family business wasn't just the castle. You had your dad was buying assets, and and it was developed into like a hotel. No, no, we had we had we had um, we had some restaurants and pubs, and wow, I worked in London before. Uh, before I went to work for Tudor Caters, which was the company that owned Thornbury Castle. Okay. Um, so when we finished the the construction, 
I uh, went to London and uh, started consulting and opening up restaurants for other people. And um, and I, uh, if you read a very old old edition of Tatler magazine, will tell you that Princess Di's favorite restaurant was one I that that I opened. And uh, I can tell you that I was never not on the floor at any moment in time, and she was never in there. But uh, <laughs> but she decided to give us a shout out anyway. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Probably so people wouldn't just chase her around or something. Oh, you know? <laughs> how cool is that? I mean, that's that's a that's a neat story. But you're a restaurant tour then as well, so you actually morphed into opening and, and starting your own restaurant. That's a whole other gig. That's okay. So the restaurant thing, I think this is this is a good juncture if you're trying to let people know about real estate. It really depends. Restaurateurs and hoteliers are both in the hospitality business. Yeah. A hotel a hotelier's desk is clean and everything's sorted and it's all fine. And a restaurateur's desk is a nightmare of papers and stuff. And it's I've always said it's like a business of butter pats. And this is what I love about what I do now. It's all those little bits. At the end of the year, you look and say, how much did I spend on butter pats? How could I spend five 5,000 pounds on butter pats when I only had a thousand, you know, guests or whatever the number is, right? right. And you think that that's five to one. What is, what's, there's nobody's eating that many of those things. What's happening to them? And, and a hotel, you know, they, you, you have a certain amount of stock, yeah. people pay in advance, you know, who's coming, yeah. you can plan your day yeah. in restaurants. You don't know who's coming in the door. You have to feed them. And then they pay, hopefully, if they've got a problem, then you have to deal with it. Right. You know, you're completely in a different, and there's so much, there's things will go bad. Things have expiry dates. Yeah. There's a lot of shrinkage. There's a lot of people. Uh, whereas hotels, you know, there's not a lot of cash sitting around. They're not, you know, there's not tills that have to be changed out and recounted. And so, uh, and so I like that. Yes. If I could, if somebody said, we need somebody to run the 6,000 unit uh, hotel on, you know, in Las Vegas or something, I'd be like, oh, I'd love to do that just because the dynamic would be so different. You yeah. know, it would be such a great, um, it's a great thing to try and get your head around. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's why I, I like my job as a chief operating officer because I love the people and you have to do that in restaurants. And I, and I love, uh, you know, I love, I love dealing with people. I love the people that I work with. And there's just so many little pockets of things that you always have to pay attention to that, you know, it keeps you, it keeps you, uh, uh, I was going to say wired, but yeah. you know. Yeah. It keeps you sharp and you're yeah. always, uh, you're dealing with something different every day, right? Yeah. It, uh, even though it's the same, it's different, yes, right? That's right. There's, it's always got a different angle. Well, isn't that interesting? Because, you know, it's, it's funny um, with regards to, um, uh, the industry and how it's morphing, because I, and I, I certainly don't want it, because there's so much about your your past that I want to discuss. But you know what's what's becoming a bit of a, an investment model now is um, um, where you've got uh, properties with co living, which are almost um, it's a great model actually, and uh, so it's almost like little hotel rooms, bigger properties, mm -hmm. but the amount of money they're getting a room is very, very profitable uh, in really, I just did an interview recently with a lady that's developing a co-living uh, business and model. And, uh, you know, you, you know, she's getting anywhere or was getting anywhere from a thousand to $2,000 for a bedroom. Now, right. now some had, you know, in, in, an ensuite and so on and so forth. But when you look at the space of a, an apartment and the amounts that the rent you can get, 
you know, it's just incredible. And then I have other investing clients that will buy a commercial asset and then they'll start a restaurant. They have a background, obviously, in it and get it up and running and then sell the restaurant and they become the landlord. Yeah. Yeah. They wow. actually, or that's start, a model. Well, that's a, well. So as an example, so this is going back. So what they do is let's say they buy, let's say a plaza and that plaza had a low vacancy rate in it. Um, it's had a bit of a higher vacancy rate. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So what they did was they developed little businesses within that plaza to fully occupy it and then got those business, a donut shop, right. coffee shop kind of thing, um, breakfast bar, like a be- all day breakfast restaurant. Sure. It's actually kind of a smart model. I mean, because some of the assets they bought, I thought, Oof, I don't know how that's going to work. Um, and then they turned around and started developing businesses, restaurants and cafes and all this kind of sure. thing. And then sold the businesses, and then they became the primary, obviously, landlord. Or had it fully occupied and then could transition, sell it, fully occupied, uh, increased, obviously, their their rate of return. And then they could turn around and make some money and purchase some others. It's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and then I have another client of mine who is a restaurateur in Toronto. Um, but, you know, the key aspect of becoming a successful uh, business and restaurant is owning the building, I think, is key. If you're a tenant... You're a little a bit out of control. Anyway, he felt that That's his success was always through the ownership of his real estate asset, not the restaurant, because he bought the building with the restaurant, mm-hmm. got a good deal, got the new restaurant format up and running, and then he'd sell the restaurant, own the building, sure. and, and become the landlord. So that's kind of how he built his wealth. He's got buildings all over Toronto, but he's a restaurateur by heart, but it, it, he loves getting them up and running and starting. And then sells them and then retains the ownership of the building. It's just, it's so, I love the industry because there's so many different ways to make money. Well, there right? can be, there can be. I mean, there, we're talking about co-living. I mean, the co-living business was really getting popular. I mean, you obviously New York and San Francisco were, were hot on it, um, you know, almost 10 years ago. Um, and I looked at, at a number of opportunities and we were considering it at one place. But uh, then COVID came and that just pretty much wiped out that, that niche for a while. Yeah. Because the whole con, you know, the beauty of it was that you could have a place with, you know, maybe a fridge and a toilet or whatever, but there was a communal space that yeah. you could share in. And, uh, and in, in, you know, in places like Germany or whatever, that's very good because a lot of people have to work in cities they can't afford to live in. Exactly. So having a place for, you know, four nights without a whole lot, some comfort and then they can, you know, get back to wherever they live and, uh, and then come back next week. You know, a lot of, a lot of people doing four day weeks. I, I think it's the business of the future in an investment real estate. I think if you're willing to take that on, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to be made. I mean, uh, this, this lady, she had a common area where she'd have art and a meeting room. People had business meetings and, and she had, you know, a beautiful kitchen, but she'd have different, events, you know, different things sure. that she would host and uh, get people associating a meeting. But I mean, they, she had, um, you know, uh, master degree students, she had uh, architects, uh, lawyer, people that were coming in from different areas. And the rooms weren't overly uh, stunning, but it was a beautiful heritage building. So it was classic yeah, in style. Perfect. And, it, you know, and she wanted to make it feel like it was home for everybody. Um, but I know I looked at the income that she was getting from the, the room rentals. And I'm thinking, 
uh, you know, it's not like a rooming house. And she's smart, actually. So she was is going after licensed rooming houses. Ah. That's the key, right? Because you, you get around the whole Airbnb licensing thing. Mm-hmm. You actually have a licensed facility. You and I know there's a lot of rooming houses in Toronto. I grew right? up in one, yeah. Right? So, so what she did was she went and knocked on the door of this rooming house that was beautiful, aesthetically beautiful building, rundown. Um, and then could see there were people living there, tracked down the owner, made a pitch and said, look, are you kind of tired of, you know, the way it is and so on and so forth? Here's my business model. This guy was willing to uh, basically do a flyer on her and see if it worked, kind of got him out of the game because you know how Mm -hmm. hard rooming houses can be. And uh, she's gone ahead and she's turned the whole building around. He's now getting, you know, a, a, a good rental income, but not having to worry about, all the aspects of a rooming house. And now she's developed a model. So that model works with renting the property. It wouldn't work by buying the property. Well, the retrofit would kill you. I mean, the trouble with anything like that is the minute you have to put all your sprinklers in, come up with your exiting, and even a lot of rooming houses have a little bit to be desired in those those cases. I I said, I grew up in one. Uh, My parents bought a house in Toronto the year before I was born, and they, uh, we had I think 20, 20 residents, and it was all I think it was all women, but at the time, but and my mother, her job, and my father would go to work, and my mother's job was to, you know, do all the stuff, and we take care of the sheets and the and fix up the rooms when people left, and so in fairness, I think I was born in the property management business. Now that I think isn't about it, it, I wasn't going to tell something? you that, yeah, but. Um, and that was and that was what I did as a kid was help my mother try and you know. So it's truly in your blood. It's truly in your blood. I never really made that connection. Until yeah. Wow. Isn't that fun though? It's sometimes when you talk about your life and you reflect, then you start realizing, geez, this is kind of how I evolved, really. But so so going back to England, you sold off the company, went to Portugal, and then you headed back immediately to Toronto, or did you go to the states? No, no Toronto. So to, to Toronto, and I then. Did. I was looking at the States or Toronto, um, and um, I didn't want really to leave Europe. Who would? I'm a big Euro fan, and I'm sad that I have to give up my passport in a few years and and just keep my English one, right? Because now that England's right, That's right. So I lose my European citizenship, which is too bad. But um, but we we looked at a couple of... uh, couple of opportunities and um uh, anyway toronto uh was was just as good interestingly enough um when i was looking for work in toronto two months after 9 11 and there was no hotel business anywhere right and so that's that had been the last 16 or 17 years of my life and um and uh, it it was very difficult for me to try and find uh, to try and find a job uh, anywhere near the level of position that I'd had before, right. because you get pigeonholed as a hotel person or you know restaurant person, and, and after nine eleven there was no travel. I mean everybody was suffering. Right? Sure. So how, what happened? How did you transition to Scotia? How did you go right to Scotia? No, I wish. Um, no, I went to work for uh, Greenwind. Oh really, Greenwind. Another another very prominent uh, yep. um, family, because uh, you know the the greens that 
that now own and, and manage Greenwin um, are cousins of our Green family. Oh. And the two Green families and the Latner family, and the Weinstocks started Greenwin. So a long time ago. And they built most everything in the city. I mean, they must have built, I, I don't even know how many buildings, but I think they built the first condo. What they did that was really clever, and I think this was due to the Harold Green Harold Green's involvement was they did the first flying forms. So they were able to do flying forms where you could build, you know, every three days you could start pouring wow. concrete wow. and moving up. So they were building faster. For those who don't know what that is, uh, it's just, you want to explain to them what that is? They, well, it's, it's, it's sort of like a, a, a kit. You know, you have, you have these, uh, these, these forms that are built and all you need to do is drop them down on the, on the footprint and then fill them with concrete and then you pull them off pull them out and then put them on the next level so it's a uh, so they started that they actually invent, uh, uh, like, no it, they didn't invent it i think they were the first people to do it in canada okay cool yeah so i mean i i knew what they were but for those who are trying to visualize those are they're basically they're kind of like the the size squared of the unit and then they're pulled out the side and then they're laid back on yeah. top so it just allows for quicker turnaround and um and actually kind of was the beginning of maybe what we know today is, which is now really starting to evolve, is modular building, yes. uh, which is now the future, right? Um, just a whole other subject. But uh, so so you then started with Greenwind in what type of a role did you take on there? Oh, I was a, um, I was a team leader. I, I hate the term, but I was a team leader. Um, but luckily for me, uh, you know, they hired me, I think, because I was in the hotel business and they were looking for somebody with more hospitality um, mindset. And, uh, and I think that that was what, what made me reasonably successful it had nothing to do with that. It was because I knew how to run companies. And, and, and uh, but it was, it's funny when you, you get, if you get a, sometimes people just, Oh no! I, I went to banks at, initially thinking I could do work in the real estate, and it was kind of like, well, I don't know. You know, you're you're kind of a hotel guy. I don't know why. What, what, and I say it's totally transferable. Yeah, you have you have assets. You have you have to take care of them. Yeah. You know, you you have to. You know, it is completely transferable. Sure. But um, but it, not everybody understands that, and I I think that most businesses are transferable. Once you figure out what it is you're selling or doing, it's a question of money, people, time, yeah. you know, and, and trying to make that work. So I, I went there, but I was lucky because at that time, Greenwind managed uh, a resident, a real estate investment trust called ResREIT. Okay. Which is now part of CapRate. Okay. And uh, we were about 12,000 units in the, uh, in the, early 2000s and i think that caprita and resri were about the same size at that time and uh we were sort of competing for building pricing and yeah that sort of thing and resri asked me to take on the management of all of their units so i became i came in the director of operations for for resri how um, many were they how many units Twelve thousand. Twelve thousand yeah, across wow. canada and uh, and and i really enjoyed that and then in 2004 Am I right? I think 2004, ResReit was purchased by Capri, and um, and they uh, and they look. I don't know. They have maybe forty something thousand units now. They've done brilliantly well. If you go back through their their history, it was a great time to buy mm -hmm. at the time. I wasn't sure it was a great time. You know, I thought maybe they'd spent too much, but 
they bought Resreed for, I'm just going to say, maybe 1860 a share or something, and they're in the 50s What now. year was this? Around? 2004, 2005. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, brilliant brilliant move by, by Capreed to consolidate that. Also, at the time, it took away a lot of the, the purchase competition. And then um, they've gone from strength to strength. It's been... Uh, They've, uh, anyway, they've done very, very well. It, it did change the uh, pr- uh, purchase competition. REITs changed the foundation of real estate as we know it today. Um, and for those who don't know uh, what a REIT is, it, a real estate investment uh, trust uh, is a, uh, I guess it's tradable. It's, it's, a tra- it's it is. traded, right? Yep. And then, uh, and help me, um, and correct me if I'm wrong in any way, but the understanding that I have is that basically uh, they raise capital. And then that capital must be spent and allocated uh, towards the purchase of real estate investment uh, oh, yeah. assets. Yeah, right? I mean, by, uh, by example, I don't even think parking lots on their own count. Um, that that was the case. I don't know if it still is. But okay. uh, with that, and, and ResReit was, was started by the owners of Greenwin and I think Dundee. And they had a number of buildings which uh, which had uh, so many owners in them. They They... The original Greenwind families uh, were busily building, trying to build these buildings. And, and when you go through some of the ownerships of them, there might be a whole bunch of, <laughs> of ownerships in them. And, and they were all kind of mixed. The three major families, the Green, Green, and Latners, uh, took all of the properties that they owned. And um, and I and this is the story is that they one day they broke them into their whole portfolio into thirds, you know, crunched up pieces of paper, put them in a hat on the fireplace and each one of them pulled a piece of paper wow. out. And that was their, cause that was, that was the easiest way to, to, to d- divide the divide assets. The yeah. So, um, and, uh, and you know, they've been, they've been great. Chip Lake, uh, the Latner family and, um, there we, um, we own 365 Bloor street post media place with them. Uh, and the, uh, Harold Green family at Greenwin, are, uh, we've been involved in a lot of things with them. So it's it's nice that after, I don't know how many years, because I've only been here for a short time, uh, that everybody is, you know, we were talking second generation. Yeah. Now, and they're yeah. all, uh, and they, and, and it was great camaraderie, I think would be the best way of putting it. Well, um, we'll, 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 we'll talk more about the families, but I just wanted to uh, tell you about a little bit. I mean, in my uh, experience in, in real estate in the 30 some odd years that I've been doing it, um, at the time REITs were uh, formulating and becoming you know, more common, we're only looking at assets that were at least 200 units and up. They were at first going after larger acquisitions malls, those types of things, very large assets. And then as my career uh, developed over time, um, REITs would never look at a 100-unit building or an 80-unit building or a 60-unit building. But now they're actually looking at, uh, you know, some REITs are looking at smaller assets and it's compressed the cap rates, right? It's really affected. Well, yeah, the the cap rate, you know, has been a lot to do with the cost of borrowing and uh and and uh the increase in value on the properties right so it, if you, it makes it worthwhile I'm, I'm not certain that i'd be running around to try and pick up something at a cap rate of one and a half um but people do it and sometimes they do it because they want to land bank it and what are you going to get 
48 basis points on a GIC for one year right now. That's the, you know, that's the, that's what you get. Well, why not get one and a half percent on something that's earning some money and you can sit on it for five years or 10 years if you have the money, Yeah, you know, and the REITs do and some people do and some funds and there's all kinds of it. But I think the real estate investment trust uh, vehicle was because you could um, write off some of your dividends uh, against the, because it was a real estate play. So right. you're investing in real estate. So that became a special tax, uh, special okay. tax system. And I, I remember at, when I was at ResReit, the government was talking about ending that. So if you got a 6% dividend, it would actually net out to be more like a 10% right. dividend because there was, there was, there was some shelter and the fact that you were buying until you'd written off what you pay for. Right. So, um, so there was some shelters which made them, you know, very attractive. Uh, also, based on real estate, so you're not buying smoke. You know, you're, you're there's right. Uh, so I, I think that you know the, the vehicles have been very, very good. I, I mean, there's so many of them now, and they're. You know, I was thinking when I was at ResRate, we were like $860 million or whatever. And that's like a drop in a bucket right now yeah. compared to the major REITs. Yeah. I mean, but you've, uh, so you have, your career has, has been surrounded by that and, and you net, you are, you're a COO of a major company. I guess, how do you feel that's impacted the market in general? Do you think REITs have helped or do you think that they've, made it almost impossible. I guess what it is is that I've seen that there used to be mom and pop family asset portfolios, right? So there used to be, um, you know, a family that would own, you know, an 80-unit building here and a 30-unit building there and, and so on and so forth. And then then that those don't exist anymore. They're being purchased by the REIT. As soon as something decent comes up, if it's an all-concrete building, the REITs are usually the ones that are going to be your primary purchaser. They will. And, you know, it's hard when you made it sound nice that family-owned building or whatever. I I have been in a laundry room with three siblings in their 50s or 60s yeah. who wouldn't allow one of them to go and take the money out of the laundry machines yeah. without the other two being present. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, so... It, you know, it's unfortunately these sort of things are great when you're buying them and you're building them. But then, if you have multiple generations, you have to figure out whether that whether everybody's going to work with the size of the pie you've got, who's going to take on responsibility, yeah. and, and how how you're going to split it up. And I think that overall, though, the you know the the big REITs have done great stuff yeah. for they built uh, you know the existing built form in our in our in our in, well throughout the country. And, and that's because they, they have the ability to get money when they need it. They can spend it. The market's been positive for the most part. So it's in their best interest to make the buildings better. Yeah. Uh, because that once, you, once, you know, once a, somebody leaves a unit, you can now rent to market. So, you know, there's no money. Last year, there was a 0% increase in rent. And this year, it's going to be 1.2%. And I can promise you, no other costs... It, in any area haven't changed by, you know, 0.6% in the last two years. Right. And, uh, and if you didn't have a vehicle like that, you wouldn't, it would, you, everybody would be out of work. So uh, I think it's, it's good, but it also means that people are investing in their, in their buildings. And we have, you know, most of the city of Toronto is about 60s and 70s. Yeah. And now the new stuff, which is, uh, 
which is, I don't know, I like it, a lot of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of neat buildings. Sure. Smaller size suites than than we would have in our in our in our building, but uh, but then there's amenities and you know there's a bit of a trade off. It's kind yeah. of like they it's what you were talking about earlier with your with your with your uh, shared living. Yeah, yeah. No, there's um, it is it is fascinating industry. I love it because it's always evolving. But my point with the REITs was that I witnessed that your smaller investor who let's say went from the beginning of an eight to twelve, eventually moved to a thirty six, then wanted to get up to a, 30, a sixty unit. As soon as you got above 50, you start hitting a wall, mm-hmm. which then made it impossible for an average Joe to try and get into, um, you know, uh, assets of somewhat scale. If th- Does that make sense? Like, because you're dealing with REITs, like you're, they're one-liners and it's a REIT and you're doing an offer in competition with a REIT. They're going to go with the REIT. Yeah, but I think, I don't know, I won't be quoted on, that, on this, but I think that companies like Timber Creek started with a smaller product. Yeah. They started building that up uh, in, you know, not prime locations, but uh, outside. And then they amassed enough. Yeah. And they were very smart as well with the way they managed not only their money, but they started the investment funds and things were very yeah. clever. Yeah, I think Achilles did the same thing. They came in looking for all of the small buildings to take off. Uh, I'm not sure that that worked out exactly as they wanted it to. Right. Uh, but they're, I think the model originally, and uh, again, I, I, I don't know this firsthand, but I, my understanding is that they just thought if they didn't have the superintendent, then they'd pick up the extra unit and then they could put, you know, somebody in a car that could go and do maintenance yeah. um, for yeah. a number of buildings. Yeah. Because obviously there's scale, we have 483 units at 77 Davisville. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, if you have if you need a superintendent in a building of 100 units and you need a couple in a building of 400 units, the economies of scale are better. Yeah. No, no, I get it. Interesting. So, yeah, and it, it is true. But I guess what I'm just trying to say is that, yes, in order to be able to uh, invest in real estate and then accumulate assets of scale, you've really got to pool your money or become part of groups uh, to be able to compete with what's out there because there are a lot of players that are scooping up the stuff that was never even looked at or considered uh, yeah. by REITs uh, yeah. a while ago. Or you can invest in them. I mean, I know, well, it sounds, I know, I know that's not the exciting sign, yeah. but you know, if you looked back and thought, well, I'd be making, you know, it's, there were some, some of these stories, I don't know if you could, if you go back to say CapRate or whatever at 13 bucks to 50 and, uh, and think that every year you're probably getting five to 8% or something, whatever it is. Um, it's not been a bad, no, been bad run. It's not the it's not the story that's going to meet the front of the paper, but right. but it's it's good income. Yeah. Well, it's my son. My so my son's philosophy. So my eldest son is heavily involved in the stock market, and I said, you know, Ryan, you got to diversify that money, and you've got to get some into real estate, please. And he's dad. I'm invested in real estate. I've got uh, REITs, and I'm like. <laughs> That's just paper, man. Eventually, like, you know, to a certain degree, I, I'm, I believe in ownership of the, I, it's just, I'm old school. I like the asset. I like to be able to touch it and feel it and be able to say that it's mine. And, um, you know, um, you know, people are house hacking now. It's a new term they use. That's what your mom and dad did way back when. I mean, they took a property and they house hacked it. It's the term now they use, the kids are using, younger generation. And they you, you rented, uh, had, you know, rooms that they rented and then they offset their income. And that really is something that's very popular now is, is this term house hacking. 
why put all your money into a home when you should be able to try and generate extra income? And so that's wonderful uh, for for the younger generation now to be starting to get into their mind. Um, but uh, so 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 we don't digress because your 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 background is fascinating. So then you're so you're managing uh, multi residential with res read of twelve thousand suites, mm-hmm. right? Then you then how do you then go into commercial with Scotiabank and become a director of, of commercial assets in, in Scotia? Well, when uh, when we when ResRead was sold to CapRead, um, there wasn't much for me to stay on with. I mean, I stayed for a bit with Greenman. I helped out. In fact, our chairman was the um, CEO at the time there. And uh, very much liked working with him, but I I didn't like the third party management business in residential a lot. It's very hard, mm-hmm. um, and and it's uh, what does that mean? Third party management. Well, I'm, I'm managing your building instead of me managing my building. Right. There's a different. You know, you everybody's got their. Uh, you know, and, and some people are, some companies like Greenrun are really well built to manage that sort of thing. It wasn't something that I loved because if we had somebody that wasn't spending the money they wanted, that the company wanted them to spend in their building, you know, I had to walk away from it, which wasn't going to make the, anything better there. But also you were under, you were underfinanced. And, and I just, I just didn't, uh, I didn't like it uh, a lot. And I also had a number of Toronto commuting housing units that I that I took on for them for a while, just handhold. But I and um, and boy, there's a lot of stock there. And Toronto housing, yeah. So you said Toronto you're man housing, really? Oh, I have five thousand units. It was anyway. I think they've they're not doing that anymore, but they outsourced some of it to different wow, companies. That's a whole other animal. Well, it was a whole different animal, but the problem was is that I couldn't um, I couldn't fix it. Yeah. And that's the big, the biggest issue was that uh, they have so many, um, there's so many, not only, I was going to say mouths to feed, there's, there's so many priorities. In the city of Toronto, it's very difficult for them to try and manage everything across, across a lot of platforms. Yeah. And at the time, there were a lot of people that wanted to not live in their building and move to another building. And, and there was, they had priority. They're, these are housing projects, right? These are housing projects. Yeah. Well, like Bosley and, you know, um, Sherburn. Like so is this Regent Park kind of stuff? Big, and yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, but big stuff. Was, I'm talking about um, St. James Town, but okay. that's where most, most of ours are, and out on Lawrence and okay. the East and West Mall. But, uh, so we were spending money mostly on moving people that were in community housing to another place in community housing. We were painting it and fixing them instead of bringing like new people in or fixing up the buildings. And they have since gone through an awful lot of iterations to try and upgrade that. And I believe this year, none of their buildings didn't pass the rain red safe. Uh, I think they, they all succeeded to do that. So um, I'm certainly not, uh, certainly not prepared to try and discuss the pros and cons of Toronto community housing, but I, but it was, I just felt at the time that there wasn't anything I could do right. to fix it. And that's not a place I could be. Right. 
So I left there. I went to a startup, uh, a startup real estate company. And, um, and while we were putting that together, which was interesting, um, we were doing, it was a storage company. Well, oh, so storage, isn't that interesting? So what's the name of the company? Uh, it was called Storage Now. Storage Now. And it was Storage Max in Western, Western Canada. I think. Okay. And um, so I went there to start off to help um, build this, uh, the, the buildings, the business, uh, storage. And, uh, and, and, you know, I have to say that that's not something that thrills me. Um, I love buildings, but I really like, I like big buildings and I like all of the associated systems and how they work and how you can improve upon them and how, you know, and, and that stuff fascinates me. Right. Um, I used to joke that if I ever had a motto, it would be if my buildings could talk, I wouldn't have to advertise. This is a dumb story, right? right? But it's, it's it's a, um, no, but that's something that excites me and storage buildings don't because there's nothing, there's nothing going on in them. But yet it was a, it was a startup and it was going to go public. And so there was an opportunity um, to make some money. And, uh, and during my time there, um, they, Scotiabank reached out and, and offered me a position. And it was funny because it was sort of the, the promise of this going public and all of a sudden having, uh, you know, a bunch of money. Right, right. Or going to work at the bank where, you know, 40 years later, I would have a pension. Right. You know, and, right. and uh, that, was a, that was a very difficult time for me. But the reason, that I, the reason it was easy for me was when I was interviewing, um, the senior vice president at the time was uh, Andrew Lennox and, uh, and uh, sort of the number two vice president was David Morley. And I had several meetings with both of them. And I can honestly... <laughs> I shouldn't say honestly, because I hate when people say honestly. Um, but I realized they knew so much more than I did. Okay. Yeah. And I had almost never been in a room where I had that understanding. That, right. Wow. There are just reams of things you can teach me. Right. And, and so I thought with that, with that wherewithal and that, you know, that, that would be something that would be exciting. And, and it was, it was really exciting. And I loved working with Scotiabank. I really did. It was a, it was a good, uh, good place to be. And, um, and we had, and it was, it was, you know, it's never dull if you're in, in, in real estate. Sure. Because things are always, I mean, even here, uh, our CEO, who's uh, no longer our CEO, but she, she said, um, she said, look at, now you're coming here. Don't think this is a quiet little shop. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right, right. And, and it hasn't been. <laughs> right, and, right. And you'd think going from, you know, uh, you know, millions of square feet of bank managing and and, uh, and all the things we were doing there, it would be, but it but it certainly hasn't been. So it's funny. Well, it's, it's a whole different business commercial uh, to residential. I mean, it's the same, but it's not. It's, it's, it's a whole different uh, industry. And you did, so you you handled, so you didn't just go to work for Scotiabank. You ended up becoming the director of all commercial assets. And no, I was, yeah, well, I was, I was the director of real estate and specifically um, I, I managed all of the buildings that they owned. Yeah. Uh, 
in North and South America? Well, no, I had a, I had an oversight on those to some degree. Okay. Um, and uh, because sometimes they had their own real estate departments. Yeah. Uh, at the end of my time there, we had pretty much readjusted all of that to come back to be managed out of Toronto, okay. uh, which was which was a good move. Um, but I'm uh, and I, I'm I'm not certain, but I think that you know since I left um, and the banks had a sort of a, a senior management change. I don't think that there isn't that they have been as invested in keeping their real estate as they were. Um, I was on the team that sold Scotia Plaza, which was an amazing experience, and um, but that was sort of the beginning because there was a t- all of a sudden there wasn't the same need to hang on to it uh, to your real estate. Uh, I would have, I mean, for me, I'd keep all of the things where you have all of your computers and. Sure. Manage all of your foundation of where all your infrastructure is and everything, right? Security or that sort of thing. Those would be be assets that I think would be key to own. But, uh, you know, you don't go to a bank because it's, you know, it owns a whole bunch of, I mean, I think Scotiabank at the time owned a thousand branches. But um, that alone isn't very interesting because that's, that's a thousand fifteen ton roof units, right? And uh, right, and and, um, and there, you know, there's only yeah. so much you can do. I mean, yeah. learning about them and taking them apart, and sure, getting your head inside them. Yeah, but after a while, there's not a lot of moving parts. You can't bring a whole lot of value to that part of it. So then you went to uh, managing one of the most uh, general manager of one of the most iconic office buildings in the country. I'd love that building. It so is a beautiful a building. building. It's a great building. We had. We had a, uh, we, a super group of people, but uh, but we had work that we did in that building and next door. And I really like commercial real estate because, especially existing real estate, because when you're spending money, and I did all of the, I managed all of the, uh, all of the, sorry, the capital investment into our existing buildings. I didn't build the new ones, but. It, care of the ones that were there and that's kind of like surgery because you have to be able to keep the building running you have to not let anybody think that you're there so it's it's a lot of night work a lot of you know early morning meetings with your superintendents uh you know building uh, the commercial uh, general contractors and their teams and and a lot of trying to figure out you know how it's going to work and you'd be surprised how few engineers there are that don't have a complete greenfield you know attitude well you can do it just this is how the system works i know but you have this much constraint and even even at village green we're looking at the risers we're thinking how do you get how do you weld you can't you can't put black pipe back in the if you if you remove one of those risers because there isn't enough space to get a weld around the um, around the black pipe so you have to use copper and so there's just it's interesting to to have to figure out how you're going to do this next thing with your existing building and that's fun I bet it would be. That's fun. Yeah, I, I bet it that. would be. I love that part. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So we're talking about the the Scotia Plaza. Uh, and then, obviously, you also oversaw new construction, ground in, all the way up. Is that what you're saying in the building next door? Um, no. No, no, no. Oh, Sorry. okay. No, no, no. I only, I'm only, uh, I've only existing. 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 In fact, yeah. it's only been recently that I've really spent any time on development. And it's that's been... Interesting learning curve too. So on the existing in Scotia, um, did they have any also, don't they have a retail concourse area and all of that? Is there, oh, yeah. is there Plaza a- had, uh, 
you think 50,000 square feet of retail, um, I mean, path retail. Um, there's a winners and some, and the food court, 100 young, which we managed. And then, and 20 King, I think. And then um, there's 2 million square feet overall uh, in that 44 King and, and, uh, and 40 King. And um, so I don't know, I was, it was, it, they're, 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 Unique things. Trophy sure. towers are unique things. I bet. Have people paying millions of dollars a month in rent. Uh, and if you want to have a fire drill and not let them know, how are you going to explain to 200 lawyers that you just, you just made right. them walk down the stairs? Right. And uh, what is it? 600, 700 bucks an hour times 200. Uh, you, you know, you, you really need to be, you need to think about what you're doing um, before you do it. Yeah, and, um, that was really that was great. I really in, enjoyed that. And part. the management of, of your staff. I mean, you built a team. Obviously, I, I know you've built a phenomenal team, and or you're a part of a, a phenomenal team uh, here at Green Rock. But you obviously, you know, it's not just managing the building; it's managing people, and it's your cl- and your tenants are your clients, right? I mean, I, I think that I always try and instill to people that no matter what the situation is, that your tenants are your clients. And, you know, and you're only as strong as your team is, right? So if you put together a good team and, and you treat people with respect and dignity, but you're at a whole other level uh, at Scotia uh, Plaza. But um, so then so then you literally saw your entire career to retirement uh, at Scotia? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd been okay. happy to stay there. Wow. Yeah. So that's a phenomenal achievement. And uh, wow, that's incredible. So then, so then you're retiring now at Scotia. And then the Green family approach you? <laughs> well, I wasn't retiring at Scotia. Oh, okay. I've only been there seven years. Okay. So um, so I was not anywhere close to retirement. Oh, In fact, okay. I'm on the Freedom 82 plan right now, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not retiring You soon. and I both. You and I both. I can you promise you that. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, um, uh, our CEO, Gloria Mocavero, and, uh, and our chairman, Barry Green, uh, Gloria and I had worked uh, together at Greenwind. We have an interesting history. Uh, she was the executive vice president when I was there. And so I reported to her. And then uh, when Greenwind downsized, she went to work at CBRE. Okay. And became the director um, at CBRE for the Scotiabank account. And so she reported to me. And then they came and asked me, 2012, I guess, or. Um, and what, what, what Gloria said was, Justin, the Green family has said that I can build the company that I always thought could be built. Wow. And uh, so that was like you had me at hello, right? I mean, I, yeah. it just seemed like, well, I have to, I have yeah. to do this. And, um, and, so, uh, and so then I was working for Gloria again. And I think that that's a unique situation. I don't think that you can often see people that can reverse their positions and and be in that position you know and with the with the respect and the you know and the, and the, and the knowledge and, and it was it was great so um, so she's she's only uh, stepped down last year i think she's now our chief administrative officer she wants to do shorter weeks mm-hmm. uh, we have a, a, a new CEO, uh, Barry uh, stood in as the interim CEO for a uh, for a while as uh, as an interim CEO, and now Barbara Rogers, who used to be with Arcturus, 
Um, she's got a great history, uh, has taken on for the last month or so. And uh, I just I just think we're going, we just upped our game once again. It's been, wow. for, for a 60-person company with, you know, a, I'm going back to the drop in bucket. I mean, if it's, if you whatever your whatever your real estate value is, is we're not we're not we're not big, but uh, I, but it's very very nice. And I think we're I think we're going to see that we're going to be achieving more even than we thought we could. How many units do you have uh, that you that you oversee? So how many rents units? We own about uh, just under two thousand okay. high rise units. Yeah, uh, in Davisville or um, in the village. Yeah. And um, and you have to see me. And we have uh, some commercial assets. We own yeah. Post Media Place with our partners, the Ladders, yeah. and we uh, manage 180 Bloor for a uh, family in Hong Kong. Really? Okay. Yeah. And and I'm hoping we'll do more commercial management. You know, um, so our um, friendship evolved and our relationship evolved. Originally, uh, this is a true story. So um, I had a friend that uh, lived at uh, one of your communities, uh, Village Green, downtown in the village. Probably one of uh, um, 1950s era built. Uh, built 63. 63. Okay. And uh, three towers. Um, and uh, literally in the heart of downtown, yet... Uh, like a little sanctuary on its own. It is, uh, isn't it? It is. It it is. And there's like a, you have a courtyard. Is it? Dare I say that it's almost an acre of, of it must court? be. It yeah, has to be two and a half acres. The whole site. It has to be the Just courtyard, there, yeah. right? Um, and so when I would go through the property and I and I'd look just through my eyes, uh, being in the industry and. Seen, you know, I just look at things differently, just yeah. like you do. You see things that, that most don't see, and I'm the same way. I look at things in a different way. I saw a, um, a magnitude of detail and uh, care that I honestly had never seen before. And I said to uh, my friend at the time, I said, you know, truly, uh, this is probably the best managed complex I have ever seen for a Thank building you. it's true I, and i've shared that with yeah, you before it's very kind of um but it's true it's absolutely true it is uh you only have to walk through the buildings uh you know you even get a sense of um i don't know uh even your your from your management right from the very beginning uh those who i had the opportunity over time who have gotten to meet uh every person that you have that's part of the green rock team almost seem uniquely special and they all seem to have one uh, vision that seems to be and that is like obviously you care about the properties that you manage you have artwork uh, that's displayed yes. that's from the the green family that are absolutely hum absolutely amazing pieces but it's the uh, order of detail even from the prop uh, the parking uh, levels that you have I mean you've got a massive parking facility but yeah. just at that one building but in your all your assets that you own, there's a level of detail and care that most management companies don't seem to instill, and um, and so and so a reason why among just celebrating um, and it I need to also point out that Green Rock uh, Property Management and Green Rock Property Advisors have won from the Canadian um, Apartment Association. Uh, yep. You've best, been voted best uh, best manager. 
in uh, in the country. In yeah, the we co- won that this year. Yeah, we more. I mean, more importantly, but um, but part of that too. Just before I move on, they we had somebody interview each member of our staff a year and a half ago, and what was most overwhelming is that we were scored in the nineties on people understanding our culture, our rock star, you know, offering. Um, and we don't, that's not something we put outside our buildings, but right, it is right. an, it is our internal mantra, if you like. Yeah. And, um, and the, the person that we hired just couldn't believe that we had done, that everybody really understood what we were trying to do. Right. And, and that's, that's, that was a big part, I think, as to why we, uh, why we won that award was because we've, we do have, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who are, uh, you know, on the same, on the same boat we're on, you know, they want the same things. They do want, they do, we do care. We want to make things better. Uh, they will tell you if something needs to be done. Uh, so it's very, that's very, very rewarding and take some time to get all that together. And, uh, because we're a small company, you know, if you lose one person, sometimes you spend six, eight months trying to find somebody else sure. to put them back in sure. again. So, um, yeah. But it's that was good, and and then just recently, Post Media Place won the National Earth Award for Best Performing Building. I saw uh, that. Yeah, congratulations. And that that's just I I was I. Uh, what does that mean? So for those who may not know what that award well, is for, uh, BOMA is a Building Operators Managers Association, and uh, they uh, they have awards that deal with number of aspects to uh, to to buildings, uh, commercial buildings. And, uh, and some of them are for energy and some of them are for, you know, other areas, development, you know, that sort of thing. So we have been big participants in trying to take this building and make it as energy efficient as we can. We, uh, we haven't spent an enormous amount of money trying to rip everything out and put it in new again. We've just tried to, we've spent years understanding how it works and, and we have some great building operators who understand how the building works. And so they turn things off. We turn things off. We set things back. We have building automation systems and things, but it's it's a, a it's a constant volume air building. So a constant volume air building really just pushes air into the building. Uh, so they they were very popular in the '60s and mm-hmm. '70s and '80s, mm-hmm. but uh, not as efficient as a building that's set up with uh, you know variable. Um, airflow, and so uh, in in different areas, you can control that a little better. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have to take that system apart to make it work. We just needed to. Um, I think I keep saying understand it. Yeah. But uh, and so we got a an uh, energy star, which is a thing you've probably seen on your mm-hmm. fridge and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, buildings have to go for energy star ratings if they want to be mm-hmm. uh, considered for a lead yeah. or um, or a BOMA uh, and I think we had a 94%. I think Good for maybe you. the Telus Tower outbeat us. Wow. But that was about it. Oh, and now there's a new one um, on York Street. One of the new buildings on York Street is going to be uh, just did. They really redid everything. And uh, But the, then that's a 10-year-old building. Wow. You know, and, <laughs> and our building was built in 1970. So wow. I, uh, I think that that's, you know, that's really just speaks to the, the quality of the people that and the care that of the people that that manage that building day to day, and their commitment. 
Well, I, there's there is a philosophy that obviously the the Green family has obviously uh, followed because they're the builders. Um, you know, we don't know I, anybody. This is the time to take out your pen and paper and and then maybe go back and in, into the podcast and and just you know Google some of the names uh, that Justin's um, provided and some of the you know some of the leaders in the country. Um, so you know, it's uh, you certainly have had an opportunity to. Uh, develop not just a reputation that really is so well deserved as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it it impressed me so much that I, re I reached out to you yeah, to let yeah. you know uh, just, you know, really how impressed I was by the company and all that you did and uh, even just the overall condition. It's one thing to have a building built in 1963. Very few feel um, that they've been taken care of. Uh, have been um, even the units themselves are, are are beautiful and bright. I mean, it's just I don't know how to convey it unless you've been in the business as long as one has been, even from the stairwells. Uh, you know, you've done a great job. To, it's a safe environment. You feel safe, um, and uh, and so it impressed me to want to even just reach out to even get to know who you were. Uh, and that's how our relationship uh, first yes, developed, right? right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, it must be something, though, the Green family has, because it's called pride of ownership. And 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 the other part that I try and instill, and the reason I, I will, will want to get a little bit of uh, background on what your direction would be, that, you know, when people are just getting into real estate investing, you know, they... Um, it's not an easy job. It's like you're getting someone else to pay the mortgage for your investment, right? And there's all different types of personalities. And, and so, um, you know, I've always instilled that if you can, when you first get into uh, asset um, ownership, then you try and self-manage. I believe in self-management at the beginning because I think it's so important for you to kind of learn really what's involved. So you can't have an appreciation for what a management firm will do until you know what it's like doing it at the very beginning. And your and, and Green family have basically self-managed their assets, right? Greenwind have done the same Green, thing. Greenwind, Greenwind's managed uh, all of the buildings that the owners owned until, uh, until we uh, started doing it ourselves, yeah. Oh, okay. So it was Greenwind before, and then you were part of the formation of Green Rock. Is no, that... I came. I came a few years late okay. um, to the party. Uh, they, they. I think that I don't know the exact dates. I think they uh, started managing. They, um, they, the buildings in the probably two thousand eight or two thousand nine, and. Um, and I think it was another couple of years before uh, Green Rock started managing its own back office. Okay. And uh, and, and then after that, um, you know, we were a, we were a fully formed company at that point. But I, I came in 2013, I guess, and uh, so they had been doing its own thing for a couple of years prior to that. So I was able just to, you know, I didn't have to figure it out, mm -hmm. um, but just to see if we could take it and keep it moving in the trajectory we were pointing. Well, obviously a philosophy was in place, right? And and when they hired your colleague and said that, you know, they've hired her to try and make uh, the company all that she's envisioned, which obviously was something that brought you from Scotia over. We we actually have a, an onboarding um, series of, you know, uh, 
PowerPoint, which talks about our secret sauce, which was stolen from the McDonald's idea. But um, but it isn't it isn't like that. There there, there are a lot of things that are the same. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe we have put together some better scheduling of functions. Are we're certainly more aware of what the impact on anything we do will be than maybe a lot of other managers are. But it's also because we can. Like we, we, we have six towers. You know, mm-hmm. it, We're not looking at 20 of them. Right. So there is a lot more opportunity for me, for our chairman, for our CEO, for our CFO, all to be inside the building and have a look and then give the thought. And, and, and I don't know if that's scalable fair to be fair. Right. If we had, if we had another six towers in Vancouver and a few in, I, I don't know the answer to that. I know right. they'd all be good and we'd be proud of them. Yeah. But that's that's it. And I, I think the you know you speak about the Green family. You know, they they want to be professionally managed. Yeah. So that's what we what we do uh, on their behalf. But I've and I'm I don't. This isn't. This is just way my analogy to some of our team yeah. that I think that any of our board members would love to be able to go into any one of our buildings, knock on the door and say, hi, I'm in the board of Grim Rock. How's it going? You know, and not be afraid of what right. they were going to see on the right. other side of that. Right. And I think that's, um, that, no, they've never said that to me, but that's the way I envision how they, they would like their buildings managed. They like, they care about the represent, they care about the brand. They care about their, uh, you know, representational risk. They want to, they want to, they're, look, they're, they're very, they're very philanthropic. They really care about people and places. And, uh, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, expound on that, but yeah. uh, you can drive down city of Toronto and see, you know, our founder, Mr. Green's name on a number of things. Yes. yes. So, uh, so they've, they've, they very are the big, big part of, I think their mantra is giving back. Yes. And, uh, and part of it, is you know being thankful to people that are been living with us. Yeah. There's there are companies that don't want people to live in their buildings for 30 years because they're going to be mark under market rent. Right. Uh, and we we feel that no, we want to thank you for being resident for for 30 years. Right. Right. You know, yeah. That's that's a friend, you know, yeah. that's somebody that's been there for a lot. And, yeah. and I think that's uh, that's more important. That is important. Yeah, it's been uh, truly uh, a pleasure to have gotten to know you over uh, yeah, no, this time. I've that too. And, um, but with regards to just any advice as, you know, management is the most difficult part of a real estate ownership, obviously. And so, um, you know, it, it's, you know, sometimes people will not want to manage and they'll want to give it to a property manager. But the property manager, there's a lot of, as you know, there are a lot of management firms that aren't of the level or, you know, don't have the same philosophies that say you do. So what are the things, at least foundationally, that you'd advise? I don't, I don't, um, you know, I really don't want to get into the the chest beating part of, of managing. Um, but I think that it's fair to say that if you are looking, if you have an asset and you want it managed, a lot of it is to do with the tools that you need. And if you had a hundred unit building, you wanted to manage it yourself, you might find that you need something more than QuickBooks to do that. No, no, yes. But so there are, you know, there are advantages to 
to having uh, companies that have all of the wherewithal and the the financial packaging sure. and the you know and the and the team that can constantly produce things even when someone's on vacation and so there's there are those I do I do agree with you that what about Bob and Mary they've got well, a six unit or so, a twelve unit yeah, and, or and there you and you're right because especially in Ontario the whole understanding the residential tenancy act is is not easy no understanding what you can do what you can't do it's funny how different uh residential and commercial real estate is the one's very socialized and the other one's still very capitalized right you make deals you figure out what you can get you know your your and and in residential real estate and residential management you know there's so many conditions and sometimes I think a lot of managers start living by what they think the intention or living by what the rules of the Residential Tenancy Act rather than what's best for your client. And an easy example is, you know, you have to post a 24-hour notice before you can do anything in a unit. Right. Well, that was created, obviously, by people who didn't want their landlord just walking in without anything. Right. And I remember when I first got here, we had somebody who had... Something he was mad at, or was it? He was he wasn't getting hot water in his kitchen or something. It was just something simple like that. And um, and I sort of got on caught up in the email chain and and I called our manager and said, "Well, can she go and fix it? Because we have to post a twenty four hour notice." And I said, "No, I mean you have to, but." How about if we just call the person and say, do you mind if we come up right, right now with right, the superintendent right, and fix right, it? Right, <laughs> and, right. and, 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 and it was like, well, no, you can't do that. Yes, you can. Because if they say, yes, yes you can come in, then yes. you can go in. Yeah. So that's the kind of the, that's where I think that a lot of the mistakes that are being made in, in residential management is that because everything seems so governed yes. and it's, it's such a, uh, there's such so many rules around everything that they that people then tend to just fall into that kind of automaton those are the rules i had that you know i don't make them i just have to live by them kind yeah. of thing which isn't at all the way you want to think about right, these things right and 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 that goes for just about anything you know if somebody needs to get in a day before can you write a lease out for a day before yes you can you know uh you, you could you could do that. Right. You could make you could give them a lease for a year, but you, you know, and and they'd have to leave a day earlier, but they would have the opportunity. Uh, it's just that I think we've gotten so many people have gotten so regimented yeah. uh, that that we've forgotten um, that there are people there. Yeah. And those people really just want to know what's going on or what they should expect. Uh, at Village Green, we spent three years redoing the whole parking deck right 600 odd cars and two and a half acres and it's all uh it's all suspended it's all a roof deck yeah i've seen know? it all i've said it's, it's uh it it was a mega undertaking it was millions it was i would assume oh yeah yeah millions and but you know when we went into the process of this we used to have uh, pre-covid we used to have a sort of a barbecue and myself and our director of operations and the landscape architect had all the signs up and we had a little table there so the people could come and see it and ask their questions. And, yeah. and we weren't hiding from it. We weren't telling them what we were saying. Here it is. This is our, these are our design concepts. This is what we're going to do. And, uh, and we realized, well, you know what we should do is try and give the residents something to start with. So that's why we did the dog park first. Still, 
best dog park in the whole city. It, totally. Um, yeah, it's mind-blowing. It's, it, the whole facility is mind-blowing. Really, yeah. really expensive yeah. dog park, but I love yeah. it. Yeah. And while we built that park before the before we started doing any teardown or anything else, just so we could give the residents something while we were taking away you know, most of their their real estate. Yeah. And we had uh, we had a, we had five units um, on Church Street at the time, and we took one of those. Uh, it used to be a second cup. Um, I think we for, forewent about seventy five thousand dollars of income from it by not leasing it, and we built it out like a porter lounge. So you know, we had tables, and chairs, and Wi Fi and television, and so if people didn't want to be in the building when the noise was going on, they could go there. Yeah. And they could get a pass. Those are sort of things that I know nobody does. Yeah. That's that would that would definitely differentiate us from anybody else, especially with with for giving that kind of income instead of just saying, "Oh, go up to twenty two oh four and there's a quiet suite there for." I think they they that was that was exactly the sort of thing that that because a lot of people who live there have been there a long time. Yeah, I mean and, it's and, uh, it's you know you can see that there's a community there of individuals that uh, and it's not just that complex it's probably all of your uh uh your 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 tenants clients but what i'm hearing in this conversation is that you really believe in giving good service to uh your tenant base your your clients i mean how do you do you see them as clients like do you look at it that way yes yeah 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 we do we definitely we definitely think of them as clients right yeah right Uh, and uh and and that's our whole client focus is like that because um, sometimes I'm the accounting department's client, right? If, if you, you know what I yeah. So there's, so that's how we try and and look at our our business from different angles. So we have we have clients outside, we have, and we and we have internal clients, and mm-hmm. our board members are our clients, and mm-hmm. and, and how you uh, how you serve those people is really key to your success, and. And all of them, but you have to manage everybody's expectations as best you can, and that's that's where most everybody gets it wrong. Right. Uh, I I went to a, a restaurant downtown two years ago, and with my wife and my mother and father in law, and it's very fancy restaurant, and my father in law tried to get a table at seven, and they couldn't take us till eight thirty. We walked in, and the place was empty. Now. We spent, or my, my mother and father-in-law, people at the table, spent about 20 minutes sort of fussing as to why we had to wait an hour. Now, the answer was they didn't have enough staff or they didn't have the kitchen staff. But if the person on the phone had said, we are short-staffed in the kitchen, so we right. can't give you a table until 8.30, we would have gone there with that knowledge. Right. But when you walk in and you look around right. and there's nobody there, you think, what on earth were they trying to tell me? Right. Right. And it's so funny how those two different things can make such an important difference. Yes. And almost all the times that people are upset or you get something wrong, it's because you didn't properly try and think through and be aware of what the questions would be and did, could you get in front of them and answer them in advance. Yeah. That's brilliant, and and you know, and it also obviously a lot of the the service, customer service, and you brought up the restaurant comes from your background in the service industry, in the hotel hospitality industry, yeah. right? 
Um, and so, uh, and you've and you've brought that from, but obviously the Green family has got some of that in their blood. I mean, um, you know, it's it. I mean, it's rel- it, It's you know, they didn't just change their business model th- in 2013 when they hired you. Of they course op- not. Right? They obviously had a philosophy, and then felt that by bringing you on and your your coworker that you've mentioned on that you would be able to bring it or elevate it to the next level i think is is what's i i mean this is great real estate and uh and they're they're wonderful buildings they were built well um and they've been managed well and we've been able in the last you know 8 years or 9 years to really because every building gets to a point where it's a bit depreciated on the end, and i'm i'm not talking about uh, you know, carpet. I'm talking about roof slabs and suspended, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and uh, spend roof uh, decks, uh, parking decks, and a lot of infrastructure, and that's money that you don't see. Yeah. Uh, and and so we've done we've done an awful lot of that work uh, in the last eight years, and it's been very rewarding because now we get another fifty. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I'm hoping I won't be there then. <laughs> but, but if it if it happens, I'd you know I'd like to go back and still think that yeah yeah we did a good your job. your mark there. is there yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. And uh, do you have anything that you want to close with? Oh, um, you know, you touched on something earlier, and this isn't what I want to close with. But so you can you don't have to use this. But okay. my grandfather um, was quite an exceptional man, and he. Uh, once told me when I was young, he said, you know, Justin, she said, people always tell me how, how lucky I've been in my life. He said, and I always found the harder I worked, the luckier I got. Oh, that says it all. I think there's a lot to do with that. Yeah, says it all. Obviously, sounds like your grandfather was uh, very he was, influential. Yeah, he was. He was. He's, uh, he was, uh, came from North Uist with his family, or maybe he was born here. So he came from where? North Uist. Hebrides. Oh, wow. Um, his family came. Uh, they were crofters, but they weren't successful crofters in the sense that they weren't the eldest. So his dad and his brother came, got a land grant in Morden, Manitoba, cut a couple of acres, of, then went back to Scotland for four years to find brides and bring them back to Morden, wow. Manitoba in, uh, in the 1800s. And, my, and, my, and there, were six grand, there were six children they had. All the girls became school teachers. All the boys became lawyers. And my grandfather um, ended up being, well, his name is John McCauley, but he was um, he was the partner in Aikens McCauley, which is the biggest law firm in Western Canada. And he was a, he was the, he was the president of World Red Cross for six years. He never charged them a penny um, for any travel, for food, anything. And, um, and he went, he picked up the Nobel Peace Prize for them. What? Yeah. And, uh, what? Uh, he was a he was a hero. This is a family member. Yeah, it's my grandfather, and, and he was the first. He was in the first batch of. Um, uh, Your grandfather won the, the, the he was Nobel a companion to the Order of Canada. Wow. Yeah, he did. He did some neat stuff. He was a great. He was a great man. Well, thank you. Thank you, Frank. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. I have such a great time with you. Well, I hope it's, uh, I'll get some time to interview you sometime. Well, I would love that. that would I would love that. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Okay. We'll be right back.
Thank you, everybody, for joining us for the show. I truly hope uh, that you enjoyed it. One thing I need you to remember is that I have no interest in being a social media personality, but I do have interest in helping you succeed in real estate. So as my father would say, if you don't ask, you don't get, pick up the phone and give me a call. One of the things that I've been told that I need to ask is that in order for the show to grow, if you like the show, please um, hit the like button and follow and share and hashtag and do all those types of things, which I really don't know much about. Um, I know they don't make it easy in order to leave reviews and things like that. And we also do want to know what you think and um, are very excited for that feedback. One of the other things I really want to instill is uh, you're only successful if you have a team that's behind you. And I have put together a team that really brought my vision of what Let's Be Frank about real estate investing is all about. And uh, those individuals are listed below on the uh, bottom of every podcast show. So I would ask that you um, look at their services and they're not paying me to be part of it. It's not an advertising issue. I believe in helping those uh, who help me. And um, our uh, podcast producer, Todd Miller, has been phenomenal because he literally um, listened to what I wanted and how I wanted the show to be. And again, um, I know nothing about this. So um, I know that of the importance of reaching out and getting experts in areas of weakness. And so I'm very, very easy to admit that I know nothing about um, um, social media and all these types of things. So you're only as strong as your team. I really try to instill that throughout the shows. Um, you know, you really, in life, you get what you give. And I also believe in supporting and helping all those who help me. Anyway, thank you very much. And I hope you really enjoyed the show and will continue to join us uh, as the road travels down with Let's Be Frank. Whoa, oh, oh.